yesterday from 2 to 4. If those who are talented enough to fix up your vehicles in the manner you did, if you had decided that you had better things to do and you had not been here, and if that particular thing had gone through all of those who decorated their vehicles, the children would have been deprived of a great time, as well as the adults. Last week, there was a concert in our sanctuary, the Wind Symphony Choir from Concordia College. If they had taken their talents and left them in the practice room and not taken the tour that they did, including this place, how much we would have been robbed of the uplifting that that choir brings. In fact, one of the students got up and spoke at the intermission and said, thanks for coming, because if we just practiced and and played to the four walls in the room we practiced, and if we didn't come out and share this with the rest of the people, our talent would be lost. And if you guys didn't take of your precious time to come here for this two-hour concert, then we would have been playing to empty space. That's how this thing works. If our choir singer with their beautiful voices, if they shared it for the, shared it with the shower, no, that's me, I only sing in the shower. If they just sang there, if they just sang around the house where they're working on their car, if they kept the talent to themselves, we would not be blessed. Megan Malone and Jason Michalik, if they kept the talent God has given them and they remain, it remained within them, who would be blessed? That is the point we've been trying to make for the last three weeks. Let me share a story with you. A certain ruler, Luke chapter 18, a certain ruler, Matthew and Mark say he was a young man and he was a rich lawyer. A certain rich lawyer came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The guy had a guilty conscience. The guilty conscience has brought him to Jesus. He didn't have leprosy and say, Would you heal me? He wasn't blind and say, Would you heal me? He wasn't crippled and said, Let my legs work. He didn't have an issue of blood. His daughter hadn't just died like Jairus. The man has no physical ailment, mental or emotionally, not demon-possessed. But he is an individual in the Bible who has a guilty conscience. And he is fearful that when he stands before God, God might ask him a question that would cause him to tremble. He says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. I'm afraid that if I died tonight, I'd have difficulty standing in front of God. I want you to calm down my conscience. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one good except God. And then he moved to the matter. He said to the man, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And the man said, Yeah, I kept all of these since I was a boy. 
And all of a sudden he's beginning to sweat a little bit less. And all of a sudden his conscience is not burning him so bad. Jesus, he figures, going to pat him on the head and say, you've done a good thing. You don't have to worry about standing in front of God. You've done a good thing. But Jesus doesn't go there, does he? When Jesus heard him say, I've kept all the commandments, he said to him, you lack one thing. Your conscience is aflame. You're afraid to stand in front of God. You lack one thing. Sell everything you have. And give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Rich young lawyer, your problem is all the wealth you have, you keep it in your two hands. You have built your bigger barns to make sure all the wealth you have remains within your purview. That is why your conscience screams at you. Because you have done nothing with the good soil that God has given you. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Your conscience will be at peace. And then come and follow me. When he heard Jesus say this, he became very sad. Because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and he said loud enough for the man to hear him. How hard it is for the very wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Their wealth has them chained down. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a man of great wealth to enter the kingdom. Those who heard him say this ask, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And he proved it within 24 hours. Because in Luke 19, you have another very wealthy man. And I am assuming he has the same problem that this wealthy man had in Luke 18. That man is unnamed. The man in Luke 19 is named. And his name is Zacchaeus. And he comes to Jesus. Not with leprosy, crippleness, demon possession, or anything else. He comes to Jesus In my estimation, with the same thing, he has a conscience that is inflamed. Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. I had to look at it twice to make sure. Zacchaeus didn't invite him. Jesus invited himself. He said, come on down, come into your house. I'm going to spend some time with you. I'm going to work through this guilty conscience with you. And when Jesus was at that house, the same thing happened that would happen six months later on the first Easter. When Jesus is walking, uh, when uh, Jesus is going to Emmaus uh, and there are two disciples standing on the road and he comes and they don't know who he is. And they're talking about, didn't you hear about the man who was crucified this morning? We thought he was the son of God. We thought he was the Messiah. And at the evening time, they've covered the seven miles, and Jesus is in the house. And you remember the episode, it says Jesus breaks the bread. And when he breaks the bread, what happens to them? Their eyes are opened. And they said, oh my goodness, you are Jesus, you are risen from the dead. And they run seven miles back into the city and say to the disciples, 
Jesus is alive. He's at Zacchaeus' house. I don't know if it's an hour or three hours. Doesn't matter with Jesus. By the time he was through, he opened Zacchaeus' eyes. How do we know? Because Zacchaeus stands on the porch of his mansion and a crowd gathers and he says this, half of what I have I'll give to the poor. I'm trying to figure out why is he giving half to the poor? Because he's probably had this conscience thing for 10 or 12 years and he realizes after talking to Jesus that he should have given a percentage, maybe 5%, Back to the Lord every single year. And 12 years have gone by and he's doing his math and he says, 50% I'm going to give to the poor. And then he looks out there and he said, if I cheated anyone out of anything, Joe, Mary, if I cheated you out of anything. And he wouldn't have said it if he hadn't have done it. He said, I'll pay you back four folds. The rich young lawyer had a guilty conscience. Zacchaeus had a guilty conscience. And Jesus said, what is impossible with men to break our addictions, whatever they might be, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Zacchaeus is the proof. And Matthew, the tax collector, is the proof. And Saul, becoming the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, is the proof. And Samson, the last day he lived, is the proof. And King Manasseh, who was the most evil king Israel ever had for 55 years until he was captured by the enemy, he is the proof that is what is impossible with men is possible with God. Thief on the cross. The stories in this church in the 35 years I've been here, people distant from God, people small in their faith, and then something happens in their life, not something grand and great, but something happens, an illness comes, a divorce comes, a car accident comes. And all of a sudden, what is impossible with men becomes possible with God. He takes what Satan means for our harm and he turns it into the ultimate good. We come close to him. We come close to him. There are two types of sin. I'm not talking about the the sin of the mortal sins and venial sins that Catholics and Lutherans look at carefully. Not talking about mortal and venial sins. I'm talking about the sins that appear in the Lutheran liturgy every once in a while. The sins of uh, omission. Things I should have done, but I didn't. And the sins of commission. The sins that you actually commit. Two types of sin. Sins of commission, obvious. Mama said, don't eat that cookie, and you did. (laughs) Mama said, don't eat your Halloween candy, and you did. Those sins Jesus mentioned, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, and the list is an endless one. 
Those are sins of commission. What are sins of omission? Things we should have done, but we didn't. You have the Apostle Paul, Romans seven nineteen. He said, I'm all messed up about this. The good I want to do, I don't do. I know I should do it, but I don't do it. The evil that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? And he gave the answer, he said, Jesus Christ can. Here's Zacchaeus, and he's saying, wretched man that I am, the good I want to do, all the wealth I have, I want to use it to help other people. The good I want to do, I don't do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Who shall deliver me? And the same Jesus who came to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus is the same Jesus that came to Zacchaeus. And all of a sudden, the sin of omission is not in Zacchaeus' life anymore. He empties his plenty upon the people at that time. There's a, there's a funny verse in the Bible, Philippians 2.10. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God himself who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. It is God who works in you both the desire to do something good. And then the separate component, the actual ability to do it. There are people on this earth who can dream, but the dream never makes it beyond the paper. It never happens. Their skill set ends at the dream. There are rare people who dream the dream and actually make it happen and follow through on it. Two separate things. God can put in you the desire to do good. And for so many, it stops right there. The Apostle Paul said it. I want to do good, but I don't do it. If you end up doing good, it is God who's moved you to do it. Given the ability to will and to do of his good pleasure. You had better things to do Saturday afternoon than set up your car for trunk or treat. But you did. Those college students... As young as they are, what they could do during the week as a college student, what most college students do, and they are they're sitting there glued to their instrument and thanking God for the talent he's given them that they can share with others. He puts in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. There are side by side in the Bible, the rich young lawyer And Zacchaeus. Coming to the end here, folks. I'm going to read you Matthew 25. I'm going to share with you the ultimate sin of omission. It's the last day. It's judgment day. Jesus will say to those on his left hand, depart from me. You're cursed. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. You just walked away. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. You didn't see me. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I scared you. 
I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. You thought that I was beneath you. They will answer. They'll actually argue with God. I get a kick out of this. They argue with God himself. God, are you kidding me? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Why are you throwing this guilt trip on me? And God will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. That's the ultimate sin of omission. Quickly now, remember a couple of weeks ago, the talent, the servants, and the master gave five talents to one and two to another and one talent to another according to their abilities. If I ask you who was the richest of those three servants, would you know the answer? It's the last one. The last servant, the one he gave one talent to, he was richer than the other two combined. Why? Because he spent his time building up his stuff. He had more barns, he had more acreage, he had more servants, he had more investments than the other two combined. And that's why he said to the master, you take credit for things that don't belong to you. I'm tired of people saying to me, God has blessed you so much. It isn't God who's blessed me. I've worked hard. The man last week, who with the good soil God gave him, built bigger barns. He didn't think about giving anything to the hungry or the thirsty. And then you have this story today. Vivette Payne has a video. She's going to pop up in about two seconds here. I googled something the other day. Connie said, could you prepare a sermon anymore if you didn't Google stuff? I said, Connie, leave me alone. Working on my sermon. (laughs) Okay, are you ready for what I googled yesterday? The top five fears of seniors, 65 and older, myself included, Top five fears of seniors. Losing independence. Deteriorating health. Not having enough money. Not being able to live at their home anymore. Death of a loved one. Top five fears. Top five fears of millennials. Are you ready? Uh, Ages 27 to 42. Missing milestones in the realm of finances and business. In other words, I thought I'd be higher up the ladder. I thought I'd have more money saved. Number one fear of millennials. Dying alone is the second greatest fear. Having no significant other job stability and financial security. Number three, physical health. Number four, politics. Number five. Two are the top three, fear over finances. And the last one, fear, the top fears of Gen X, ages 43 to 58. Say, Pastor, tell us what they are. Come on. 
Top fears of Gen X, one, two, and three, finances, finances, finances. The rich young lawyer, why did he have a guilty conscience? He had an addiction, and the addiction was his wealth. And no matter how much he had, his fear was that he didn't have enough, that he would lose it. Mike Butterfield, as part of his career for a number of years, visited families, wealthy families all over the country. And he would see firsthand what God had blessed individuals with. And he would often see what is there in the Bible. The inability to pry the fingers loose from that which God had bestowed. Vivette Payne, beautiful video, Timothy. I began to sense that I wanted to be at least part of a church closer to where I was living. And I met Sue Grevy, uh, became a client, and she shared a story. And I said to her, where do you go to church? And she told me, so I visited Trinity, and I liked it. It's interesting, I think that centering ourselves, grounding ourselves in Christ is probably the best way to stop fear immediately. So that is the first thing. When fear comes, I remember Bible verses. I remember that God has told me, don't be anxious. I remember God has told me, I'll meet all your needs. If I'm in a situation where a client has asked me something and I'm wondering, what do I say? I remember God will give me wisdom. So anchoring myself in the Bible and using those verses, that immediately takes my focus off the fear. I believe that if we take God at his word, that is probably the biggest antidote to fear. Because if I believe uh, he will do what he says he will do, and I act on that, then over time that just becomes a habit. Fear is a habit, but faith in God is also a habit. And it's strengthened when I exercise it. I'll tell you about the most difficult time in my life. And that's when my twin sister died. Uh, She had been ill, but did not expect her to die. And it happened suddenly. Uh, I was traveling the next day, and my younger sister said, I think Bobong is in trouble. Well, she was dead. Went to the hospital. They said, she's gone. So I was in a bit of a shock, and so I came home, and I said, I'm going to read the Bible. And I thought, now what am I going to read? And I thought, I'm going to read part of Romans 8, because that tells me that nothing can separate me from the love of God, not even death. So I was weeping, and I was reading that and reading that. And that really calmed me, and I just began to pray. That just settled me down. Uh, people saw me after that. Um, they said, gosh, you're, you seem like you're okay. It was a great opportunity to witness because I had friends that were not Christians. And I said, yes, I'm sad, but I know where Bavon is. Well, you're being very stoic. I said, I'm not stoic. I'm certain. I'm certain that she's with Christ in heaven. So that was 
benefit is not the right word, but it was uh, a good outcome of that. So that was crucial for me. If I had not had the Word of God, I'm not sure what I would have done. I think it means for me that I'm always looking for it, that I'm looking for opportunities to uh, bring the kingdom to other people. I think it means for me I'm always looking for where is God showing up? Uh, one of my prayers is that I want to be on God's agenda. And so I'm looking to see where is He working? What is He doing? And how can I be a part of that? That to me is seeking the kingdom. I give because it honors God. He's given me everything that I have. Whether it's money, whether it's talents, whether it's friends, everything that I have comes from Him. And so as a way of honoring Him, I want to give back. I, I pray that uh, all of my life would be used by Him. In fact, that I would be used up by Him so that there would be nothing left. I don't want to leave a will with lots of money. I want it out. Uh, I want to give all of my energy to things that he would have me attend to. That is important to me. Uh, I don't want to conserve anything. I want to make sure that I just give everything and distribute it as he gives me. Of myself, the resources, everything. Blessed by God, Vivette, thank you. Blessed by God. By the time Zacchaeus had talked with Jesus, whatever fears he had were gone. And I dare say Jesus repeated our gospel for today with Zacchaeus. His fears were gone. If the members of this church, all at the same time, if a significant number decided that their fear of finances would cause them to keep it in there, man. And the sin of omission would occur. Then the ministries in this place would no longer exist. That's not my reason for preaching the sermon. It's for you to look at the fears you might have in any arena and then realize that if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you say to that mountain of fear, move and it shall move. You have stars, 30 seconds for each star. Get them stars out. Timothy's going to put this up on the screen. Here's what I want you to do. Forget your fears. Pretend it's Thanksgiving Day, okay? I want you to look at those circled elements of time, and I want you to smile, and I want you to say, thank you, God, for those elements of my time. Thank you, God, for the blessings of these elements of my time on this earth. Talents.
Thank you, Heavenly Father, for my talent reaching and touching the lives of others. Treasures. Heavenly Father, may we hear the word of God, may we see the face of Jesus, and may the promises of our Lord come true. As Vivette Payne said in that video, it is my faith that will overcome my fears. Keep each of us close to you, Lord, in our Savior's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.